freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. Today is Sunday, May 20th, 2012. This show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. Today we have a great show lined up for you, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be continuing talking about solutions. We're going to be continuing the topic of the non-support of dominators. And we are going to be continuing to talk about moral culpability. Who is really to be held to account in the event that orders are given and then orders are followed? Who is really, truly the responsible party? Who is more morally culpable is what we're really going to be discussing today. And we're going to get into some behavioral and psychological experiments that were done over the last... uh, several decades to understand that there's this religion that is so strong in our world that it has people giving themselves over to it entirely, giving their entire being over to it, abandoning their conscience, abandoning their personal responsibility to act within the confines of conscience and to simply obey orders And this religion is, of course, the religion of authority. It's a fake religion. It is a religion that does nothing but hold the species back in its evolutionary development, always has and always will. And yet the vast majority of human beings continue to completely abide by this religious dogma. So that's coming up on what on earth is happening. I do have a couple of quick event announcements. We have secured a venue for the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity documentary night here in Philadelphia. This is a local meetup in, uh, in the Philadelphia area. And it's um, a different documentary film is screened every month, and then it's followed up by a discussion on the film. So uh, this documentary discussion, uh, screening and discussion evening, will now be taking place every last 
Thursday of the month. We've moved it from Wednesday to Thursday. Every last Thursday of the month from 6.30 p.m. to around 9 o'clock p.m. at Essene Food Market and Cafe. Essene Food Market and Cafe is at 719 South 4th Street. Again, I talked about the synchro synchronicity or synchro mysticism of 4th Street here in Philadelphia simply being a seemingly being a focal point for energy in this area but we've now moved to a scene food market 719 South 4th Street the last Thursday of every month this month May 31st we'll be having our first meeting at our new venue And we will be screening Transformation, the new documentary film by Max Egan. We'll pick up with a couple other quick announcements on the other side, and then we'll jump into our topic for today. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Before the break, I was getting into some event announcements for this area. So the first one was that we have a new venue for the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity documentaries. It's going to be the last Thursday of every month instead of the last Wednesday, and it is now moved to a scene food market, 719 South 4th Street. And it is a new time also, 6.30 p.m. sharp start time. Um, The first meeting, May 31st, 2012 at 6.30 p.m. We're showing the movie Transformation by Max Egan, a great new documentary put out by Maxwell Egan. Second event announcement I have is that I will be making a radio appearance on Two Guys, One Girl out of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, hosted by Franco Heward. And this is going to be taking place on Monday, May 28th, 2012, from 8 to 10 p.m. East Coast time on the Radio H2O Network. I've been on Two Guys, One Girl uh, before. It's a great radio program. Um, uh, Great hosts, very knowledgeable, and uh, going to be uh, glad to be back on there for another two-hour interview. The ad-free sponsorship offer for What on Earth is Happening is still on the table. Uh, I have had a couple of people, a couple of interested parties contact me. Uh, I'll actually be contacting them to see uh, what we can actually make occur, make go through uh, with uh, the the owners at Oracle. So uh, you may be seeing what on earth is happening go uh, ad-free. People have requested this. A lot of people have endlessly complained about it. And a couple of weeks back, I made the offer put the offer on the table that if uh, you wanted to put your money where your mouth was and uh, sponsor this show to go uh, commercial free, that you could get in touch with me at mark at whatonearthishappening.com, my email address, and um, uh, inquire about it and that I would uh, get you to the appropriate person within Oracle to discuss uh, the rates for doing that. I have since gotten the rates. They're not um, that bad. They're fairly reasonable. And uh, as I've said, we do have a couple of tentatively interested parties, so this may be happening. Uh, I'll leave it at that and just state that if you are still interested, you can get in touch with me at my email address about ad-free sponsorship. Just put ad-free sponsorship in the the, uh, 
uh, subject line of the email. So those are the event announcements. Uh, I want to direct everyone now to the What on Earth is Happening website, where, as always, underneath the player on the radio show page, there are images for today's show listed as numerical links. Uh, you can click on those links. It will bring up a slideshow that you can follow, uh, which uh, deal with the images there, deal with the topics that I'm going to be discussing today on the show. As I said many weeks ago, for the section on the non-supportive dominators, because this is such a critical and important solution to have a deep understanding of and a deep understanding in what these dominators are actually creating in our world, that I would not be taking any calls until I have satisfactorily covered this topic according to my own expectations. And I'm going to be continuing for the next few weeks at least on different topics related to the non-supportive dominators. Today we'll be continuing talking about culpability and consequence. Um, I'll be talking about these experiments uh, that deal with authority and man's perception of authority, mankind's perception of authority. Um, next week on the show, I'm going to attempt to shift to trauma and bullying traumatic experiences and bullying and how these affect human consciousness and how we become identified with either abuser or victim. And this is such a big part of why people do the things that they do related to domination and abuse of rights. I'm also going to do an entire show, at least an entire show, about repressed sexuality and how this plays a huge role psychologically in why people do what they do regarding domination. I'll also be doing an entire show about the loathing of personal responsibility and how much people want to cast away what cannot be cast away. Something that is forever ours, personal responsibility whether we like it or not to create that which we are creating. We are always co-creators with the universe. We are always co-creating our experience, whether we are doing it consciously or unconsciously is the only question. And personal responsibility goes hand in hand with that level of co-creation and can never truly be abandoned. It can never truly be abandoned. Someone can only make the claim that they are abandoning it. But why would they ever want to do that? We're going to be talking about that. Why do people hate and loathe personal responsibility? How does that play a huge role in the dominator culture? So I'll do a whole show on that. And I'll also be doing an entire show on at least one show, probably two, on the occult aspects of this, the occult mockery of the military and the police. So that's at least five to six shows right there, minimum. Then we'll do a couple of call-in shows on uh, this topic of the non-supportive dominators, as I've promised. But that's coming up several weeks from now. So no calls for today, so don't call the call-in number. Uh, again, two entire What on Earth is Happening call-in shows on the topic of the non-supportive dominators in several weeks. That having been said, let's jump into the slideshow. As always, uh, in this section, I have simply begun with the way out and the grassroots solutions for real and positive and lasting change. These uh, two slides have begun the entire section on solutions and will continue to be presented at the beginning of the solutions section. 
The third slide is simply the non-supportive dominators, which is the uh, present solution that we are covering. And slide number four, I'm going to briefly review something that I talked about last week, which is really a master key for understanding why we are experiencing that which we are experiencing in our world at the current moment. The understanding of this law, not opinion, not um, perception, but a law that is inherent to creation itself. It is the law of cause and effect, and it is the understanding of the plane of effects versus the higher plane of causality, which we must raise our consciousness to in order to understand why the reason that certain effects are manifesting themselves and playing out in our experience. This is a, as I've said, a master key. This is the, the, the understanding of this principle unlocks all the keys that bind us in chains. It is a master key. Sadly, so few people understand this simple truth. And I broke it down last week that as long as your mindset is operating in the physical manifested effects, that which has already occurred and which you're already surrounded by, and it, it stays there, you're going to be trapped in a cage. You're going to be trapped in a prison of your own making through your own ignorance of how things actually manifest from a higher level of reality, from a higher plane known as the plane of causality. We'll continue to look at this principle on the other side of the break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. I was reviewing the differences between the plane of causality and the plane of effects. If we stay in the plane of effects, we have absolutely no power in order to manifest real change. And unfortunately, that's where most people have had their mind lured and trapped there. They continue to focus on what has already occurred. And that's, don't get me wrong, that's an important thing. You need to see that which is. You need to be honest to yourself about that which already is. But if you stay there and you don't ask the question, why? Why is it that way? Why has it become that way? What factors have gone to work to cause that particular reality to manifest itself? If you don't ask those questions and therefore raise your mind up to the plane of causality, you remain powerless to affect change in the realm of effects. This is a deep understanding of how manifestation operates and the direction that manifestation flows. It always flows from the higher plane to the lower. It flows from the plane of causality to the plane of effects. Causes go to work first, 
then effects are created as a result of those causes. It's a one-way direction. The direction our mind must go is, yes, observe the effects, but ask the question, why? And when we learn why, then we're going to be able to create on a conscious level and not a moment before. So that's a very brief review of what I talked about last week regarding this dynamic and what I would simply state is a law of manifestation. Okay? This is on slide number four. Let's look at, start to look at the main thing that I basically left people on last week toward the end of the show, which was moral culpability. Who is at fault or who is to blame whenever actions are taken that are completely out of harmony with natural law? And I asked the question, who is more morally culpable? You have to listen to the question as it is asked. Who is more morally culpable? I didn't say that an order giver has no moral culpability in the situation. The question was, who is more morally culpable? The order giver or the order follower? One who barks out the commands and tells someone to do something that ultimately both of them really know that they have no right to perform, that they have no right to do, an action that they actually have no right under natural law to take. I would say the order giver most certainly knows that in most cases. The order follower almost always knows that as well. But some little trinket or bauble is dangled over their head or before them, like, you know, a carrot dangled before a donkey, you know, to get them to continue to pull the cart. And they completely abandon any conscious they, conscience they may have had. They don't exercise their conscience and they just decide to go along for whatever reward, earthly reward is promised to them. So in that instance, who is really, truly responsible? Who is the truly responsible party? Who is the more morally culpable party in that instance? And as I said last week, and as I will continue to reiterate, and I asked people to bring this topic of discussion up in your own circles, bring it up to your family members, bring it up to friends, see what re responses you get. And I, I guarantee you, your result will be similar to mine. You will have a dichotomy almost right down the middle. Whenever I've done this, I've seen a dichotomy, a split in people and just about 50%. Sometimes it's a 60-40 split one way or another, but it's rare when it's an overwhelming uh, split to one side. Okay, It's usually a near 50-50 split or a 60-40 split. And I, I would say that's part of the problem, is that too, too many individuals don't know immediately the answer to this question and can answer it at the snap of a finger. Because there is a correct answer to this question. It's not a matter of opinion. The order follower is always, always more morally culpable. 
not sometimes. Here we go again. Blanket statement. Put your emotional mind control detectors on because this is where people fall into emotional mind control. He's making blanket statements. Yes, yes, because some blanket statements are true, ladies and gentlemen. Not all, but some are. And this is one that happens to be true. All ways, every time an order is given that is outside of the boundaries of natural law and an order follower obeys that command and then actually performs that action, every time the order follower is more, more morally culpable. I didn't say that the order giver has no moral culpability in the instance, but I did say every single time this instance occurs, no matter where it occurs or when it occurs, the order follower always takes on more moral culpability. And the word culpability we saw last week comes from the Latin word culpa, which means fault or blame. Who is more to blame? Who is more at fault? This is part of the problem that the quote tr freedom movement cannot get around the fact that it is not, it is not, not, not the 1% or the uh, high-ranking masters of whatever hierarchy or oligarchy that you happen to be looking at, okay? It is not ultimately the high-level dark occultists it is not ultimately those who are really behind the priest class or the religion of the day, meaning money, authority, etc. Okay? They are not the ones who really are to blame for this situation. Do they make it worse? Oh, assuredly, they make it much worse. Okay? They actually compound the problem by stepping into this role uh, and continuing this cycle of abuse and violence which humanity is trapped within but ultimately they're not the highest level problem they are not ultimately the people who are bringing about this negative reality you you could tell yourself that all day long and that will never make it the case you have to be honest and start looking at what really is the causal factor here. And the causal factor in all of this is that there is anyone that is willing to follow orders that are outside of the parameters of natural law and attempt to usurp or crush someone else's inherent natural law rights. 100% of the time, when those orders are followed, those unjust, unlawful orders are followed, it is 100% of the time the fault of the order followed. Most people have a very, very hard time with that and don't want to accept it.
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're talking about who is more morally culpable, the order giver or the order follower. And here's a very easy experiment to just do, a very easy contemplation to do yourself. Right here, you can do it right now. Take a look at slide number five, which poses this question. Right on the What on Earth is Happening radio show page underneath the player, click on number five. And look at the scene in the background behind the words. Take a look at a stream, a river of dead bodies. Probably all people, or I would say definitely all people, that did not deserve this fate. This was done by dominators to people that they wanted to cleanse or who refused to obey their unethical orders. As I said last week, it certainly does matter the situation and where this was. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, say that it, that's, those things are not important. We need to understand everything we can understand about specific events in history to understand what was really going on and taking place. But what I'm saying is this could be any mass cleansing event throughout time. The same thing applies. The same ideologies, the same basic principles apply when it comes down to understanding why things like this occur and who is responsible for them. So you could look at this as just an archetypal image of what happens when orders are followed because that's what this represents, this scene. You can get all hung up about where it was or when it was and, and who did it and all of those details, as I've said, are, are important to know. But not to get hung up on the specifics, but to understand the general principle that this is the result of following orders. Now, knowing that and looking at that scene, you know, and really think about a scene like that. Don't try to cast your eyes away from it. Look at it. Think about it. And answer the question honestly, honestly, who did this? Who did this? I'll repeat the question one more time. Who did this? An order giver or an order follower? And if your answer is an order giver did this, my response to you would be, wow, he must have really had a super powerful voice to do that. And I would also say to you, you're not being honest with yourself. You want to tell yourself what you want to hear. You're not listening to the question and you're not giving an honest response to yourself, most of all. Because an order follower always has done this. 
No order giver has ever done that in history, no matter where it took place, no matter what place, no matter what time. Do you understand that? That that is not my opinion. That is the truth. An order giver can bark out whatever immoral commands they want to bark out. And it's all irrelevant and meaningless unless there is an order follower there who is willing to actually take the action that was ordered. The action cannot occur. The immoral action cannot occur unless an order follower is willing to do that. Now, okay, you can say, well, maybe the order giver uh, might follow his own commands and then go do it himself. Well, he's not really an order giver then, is he? He's someone who's owning his own actions. As are the order followers, whether they want to claim they own those actions or not, they still own them. This is what I'm trying to get across to people. You are always responsible for your own actions and behavior. Always. Now, is the order giver responsible for what he's telling people to do? Yes, he is. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, and again, this is going to be another hard pill to swallow for people. The order giver, while he is still doing something he is not right to do by even issuing a command like that, trying to get other people to do his dirty work for him, he will never be as as morally culpable. Now, listen to the statement. Don't hear what you want to hear. Hear what's actually being said. He is not as morally culpable. He is less morally culpable than is the person who actually carried out the action, who did that. And who did that was order followers, if you're being honest with yourself, which most people don't like to do. They want to tell themselves what they want to hear, and they want to blow smoke up their own rear end and have other people blow smoke up there too. That's the sad case of what this species is right now, what they have become. You want people want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth. Well, again, this isn't a popularity contest and never has been. I don't do this because I'm trying to make friends with people. Personally, I don't care about what anyone thinks about me for stating that which is. You could believe and think whatever you want, and you could believe and think whatever you want about me. I have nothing to do with whether this is true or not. You, you need to set aside opinions, set aside what you've been conditioned to think, and ask yourself, is it true? Am I being honest with myself? Have I really looked at the truth regarding who's more morally culpable? Do you have an opinion or do you know that? And I'm telling you, I don't have an opinion regarding that. I know the answer. It's a simple, simply being honest with yourself is all you need to do. Take a look. Look at the image. Tell me if an order giver did that. And if you're being honest with yourself, the answer is no way an order giver did that.
only a group of order followers could ever have done that. But sadly, like I've said, most people want to lie to themselves. That's part of the problem. The entire overarching dynamic, that's one of the biggest problems. People will not be honest with themselves. They want to tell themselves what they want to hear. So do this experiment, ladies and gentlemen. You'll be amazed at what you find. You will be amazed at how many people will give the answer of order giver to that question. That's part of the dynamic that keeps freedom away from the human species. Because we do not understand the right answer to that question. Let's start to look at some of the experiments that we're going to talk about for the remainder of this program. These are experiments that have been done. They're social experiments. They're behavioral experiments. Psychological experiments done to try to get at why the reason, okay, the answer to the question of why people give over their own responsibility for their own actions or attempt to give away that responsibility to someone else that they see as an authority figure and they actually believe in their own distorted thinking that they can give up responsibility to this other individual, this authority figure. They've actually bought into that notion somewhere along the line in their irrational, illogical thinking that is not in keeping with reality. Their conditioned thinking, because this is how people are conditioned to think from the moment they're born. And parents are a big part of that conditioning. Teaching children to obey. Why? And they, they never give the answer why. Not because I have more experience and I understand a lot more about how the physical world works. I might understand a lot more about how natural law functions. And you would do well to learn and understand that. If you don't take that instruction, then you'll suffer as a result. Not because I preach you, but because you will have to experience the negative consequences of breaking natural law. Most parents won't ever ex- attempt to explain any of that dynamic to a child. They'll just tell them, do it because I said so. And thus, the false doctrine of obedience as a virtue becomes ingrained. Be right back. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We're going to start looking at a few social experiments that were done to try to get a deeper understanding of why people behave the way that they do in situations where orders are being given. And thus, it revealed an enormous amount of data about how people perceive authority. And the sad revelations that came with these experiments show us that ultimately, humanity has not really evolved much over millennia. We're stuck in a morass 
of slowed evolutionary progress. Some would say it is not just slowed, but it has reversed. And we were once more moral of a people than we are today. Because this religion, this universal religion known as authority infests every nook and cranny of planet Earth. The first experiment I want to look at today is known as the Milgram experiment, M-I-L-G-R-A-M, the Milgram experiment. This was conducted um, by the Yale University psychologist Stanley Milgram. He did this experiment in the 1960s. I believe he started in 1961. And the, the, this experiment basically went on, I think, for a couple of years. I think he published the results in uh, the mid-60s sometime. Anyway, what Milgram did was he put out an ad and had some people respond to the ad. He told them that he would pay them money to um, help them, help some scientists perform a study of memory. And this was basically a, a bait put out there. It was, it was a lie because what he was really doing was trying to find people who he could conduct the experiment on blindly that would think they were helping conduct the experiment, but really they were the test subject themselves. So the people who answered this ad were the test subjects. So what he told them when they entered the experimentation area is we're conducting a test on memory. You're going to read some um, questions to the person who we're conducting the test upon. And Based on their answers, okay, if their answer, if they were able to memorize the answer to the question, okay, or the series of words that they were asked to memorize, uh, and they give the correct answer, you continue with the test. If they give the incorrect answer, you're going to give them an electrical shock. They're hooked up to this machine, okay, here's the button that you, or the switch that you press in order to administer the shock. And they told this person that the shock would be an impetus or kind of like a spur to help them to nudge their memory and remember better so that they would be able to give the correct answer later on in the test. So it was like an electric stimulus that, you know, they said, well, perhaps this will help jog people's memory. That's the ostensible reason for the experiment. Clearly, that was a lie, and all they're really trying to do is see how far they would be able to push this person, okay, to continue to administer increasing in their intensity electrical shocks all the way up until an, an over 400 um, volt shock, which would be deadly. I think a 450 volt shock, or uh, yeah, 450 volt shock was the highest end. Um, shock that could be given, and that's a deadly shock. So you, you give 450 volts to someone, you'll kill them. Okay? So I posted on image number six a little um, image that shows 
basically how this experiment was set up. In the main room is the person who is ostensibly conducting the experiment, the scientist, okay? So he's labeled E there, okay? I guess that stands for executive, okay? The person who's in charge, okay? Now, the letter T stands for the teacher of the experiment. This is the person who answered the ad, okay? Who answered the fake ad. So he's actually the subject of the experiment at the letter T there. And the learner, the one who is being given the shocks, sits in another room, okay? Now, the learner is an actor, as is really the, the executive, okay? The person who is ostensibly in charge of the experiment, the person who's giving the orders, in other words, okay? They're all just in on the experiment, okay? They know what the experiment, how the experiment is really set up, okay? And who's really the subject. So, okay, it's a single blind. The only person who's blind to the experiment is the teacher there at letter T who's giving the shocks because that's who we're trying to see. How far is he willing to go? How many shocks is he willing to give before he says, no, I won't do this anymore? Before apophysis is realized within him and he says no to authority. Before he exercises his conscience by saying no. Okay? So, they start the experiment and, you know, he, he might give a wrong answer. And so the person is told, okay, administer the shock. They shock him, read him the right answer. At some point in the experiment, the person on the other side, okay, who's being shocked. Now, I, I, I hear that they didn't actually do this in person. They had a taped um, uh, a tape recorder playing on the other end loudly. Would, would uh, Depending on the shock that was given... It would present wails or screams or, and eventually it would be saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. The person at L would be heard saying, the person in the other room who was being given the shocks would be heard saying upon being given a mid range shock, I do not want to do this anymore. I do not want to be part of this experiment anymore. Let me out of here. Let me out of this chair. I'm done with this. Okay? So now he has expressly said, he has expressed, meaning put out there for others to hear, that he is no longer a free will participant in the experiment that is being done. And now he is being held against his will. Okay, that's the line of you have crossed natural law. Even if you did say, okay, this person is willing to do this, okay, to participate in this experiment, you might even ask the person, you're a willing participant, no one is coercing you. Up to the point where the person has now said, I'm done with this. That's immediately where the, anyone should have stopped. Even if you did any of it at all. You, you really have not broken natural law until the person said, I'm uncomfortable now, now I'm being harmed, and I have asked you to stop. 
I do not wish to proceed. I am no longer a free will participant in this experiment. Let me go. That has been spoken to the person conducting the experiment, and they have heard it, okay? And it has also been heard by the person who is the order follower, who is pressing the levers, okay? What the executive, okay, of the experiment then says, the scientist says to the person who's giving the shocks is, he says, please continue. And he was actually given ratcheted up um, variants of the, I want you to continue. In other words, he's telling orders in a more progressively uh, harsh manner. Uh, there were four basic responses, uh, orders given. Please continue, which is like, you know, saying it at a very nice level. Then the second one was the, the experiment requires that you continue. The experiment requires that you continue. If they still didn't want to continue, they would be pressed further, and the the uh, executive would say, it is absolutely essential that you continue. And finally, he would tell the, uh, the teacher, you have no other choice. You must continue. Okay? So we'll pick up with the Milgram experiment on the other side of the break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. back folks this is what on earth is happening i'm your host mark passio we're talking today on the show about moral culpability who is more morally culpable the order giver or the order follower and we're looking now at three different experiments conducted to attempt better to understand the psychological motivations in the mind of an order follower. Why do they behave this way? What are the implications regarding the belief in authority that is inherent to this understanding of human behavior that was gleaned through these experiments? And it's quite disturbing actually and it really tells us a lot about the path that we're on. So we were looking at the Milgram experiment by Stanley Milgram, conducted back in the early 1960s. And I explained how the experiment was set up and that these shocks would be given uh, to an actor who was uh, supposedly the subject of the experiment, but the real subject was the person who was chosen to give the shocks, okay? And when they give a shock that the person who is receiving the shock has finally said, uh, I'm not comfortable with this anymore. I want to stop. So they have expressed their free will and said, no, I do not want this done to me anymore. I'm through with this experiment. The person giving the commands would say, please continue to the person giving the shocks. And if they 
said, no, I don't want to continue. I'm uncomfortable with this. They would say the experiment requires that you continue. Then they would say, if he still didn't go on, it is absolutely essential that you continue. And if he still didn't go on, finally, the conductor would say, or the commander would say, you have no other choice. You must continue. Now, if he still refused after those four prods, okay, after those four commands, if you will, then the experiment would end and the person would basically be given the status of one who decided to say no to authority. Now, they made some predictions before they did this experiment, okay, as to how many people would stop and would not go past a certain point. And certainly would not go all the way through to the lethal shock. The Milgram's team made a prediction that only three and a half percent of people approximately would administer the lethal shock. So he thought only three and a half percent of people would agree with authority and would bow to authority and give away their personal responsibility. In other words, he, they thought that 97 out of 100 people would have would exercise their conscience and wouldn't go all the way in this experiment to administer, you know, although it be fake, they didn't know that, what would be considered a lethal shock to another human being who had already said, I don't want to be part of this anymore. Just by being prodded by a so-called authority figure. You know what the actual results were? How many people went through to the end of the experiment? 65% of all of the people that acted as the subjects of this experiment went all the way to the end and administered a little shock just because they were told to. Think about the implications of that for a little while, ladies and gentlemen. We'll pick us up to the other side. Stay with us. All right, folks, we're back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Talking about the Milgram experiment social experiment conducted to find out just how deep the belief in authority is entrenched in human beings when it comes to conducting immoral behavior. And the results were enormously disturbing if you're even paying the smallest bit of attention because it really showed that people bow to authority as a dogmatic religion. And believe in it so strongly, they actually believe that they can give up their own moral culpability. They actually believe they can give away their own personal responsibility for their behaviors to another human being. People actually believe this. Misguided and completely confused and ignorant as they might be, that's their belief system. So, there's a couple other 
very enlightening results of the Milgram experiment. As I said, in his initial experiments, 65% of human beings went all the way through to the deadly shock just on prodding from a so-called authority figure that they must continue. Even after the person who was acting as the, the, the person being shocked willfully stated, I'm through with this, let me out of here. I'm going to put a video, a reenactment of some of the Milgram experiments online with this podcast, podcast 108. So a couple of other really interesting uh, aspects of the Milgram experiment was what would happen if the, the person who was the subject of the experiment first witnessed someone else saying no? And what would happen if the person who was the subject first witnessed someone else saying yes and going all the way through with the lethal shock? Would this have any bearing on the outcome, on the percentages of people that would uh, continue all the way through to the lethal shock? And the answer turned out to be yes, very definitively yes. It would have a significant impact. So listen to this. This is actually, I, I would say, more important than the original uh, percentages of the experiment uh, alone. This is the more interesting aspect of the experiment. When people would be allowed to see other people saying no to the authority figure. So what they would do is they would take uh, other actors and put them in the role of the person who is administering the shocks and that they would arrange it so that the person would say no upon the other the person being shocked uh, would say he didn't want to be part of it anymore. Okay, So they would watch a couple of people say no and exercise conscience and say, I'm not going to continue with this because this person has just told me he doesn't want to be part of this anymore. So I'm going to respect his rights. I'm going to respect that he does not want to participate in this and he cannot be held anymore against his will. And I'm not going to help you do this. When a couple of people in, in front of the person, of the, the test subject, would say no, would engage in apophysis, okay, and say no, the percentage of people that would go through with the lethal shock dropped to 20%. Now, that seems encouraging, but you know what? That's still one in five. So it's not too encouraging, but it is somewhat encouraging. What that means is People are affected by what they see, by example that is being set. So if we set an example of good conscience, of following conscience instead of orders, okay, of exercising conscience, there will be a better probability that other people will decide to take up that same course of action because they'll see it in example being done and then they'll say, hey, this is an example I should follow. Whether they even understand it or not at that point, it's a good start. They should, we need to understand it consciously, but setting an example for someone is the next best step to a conscious level of understanding. Ultimately, we want to build them up until they get to a conscious level of understanding that this is simply the right thing to do under natural law because they have discovered how natural law operates in the physical domain. 
Now, here's the really disturbing part of the experiment. If you weren't disturbed by the 65% number, which seems to be our human baseline, sadly, of how many people that much are conditioned to the overarching belief in authority. You know, I, I think if they did this experiment again today, I think they have in certain instances. I have to look at the published results. I'll bet you it would be up over 70% today, if not more. But... When the opposite was true regarding uh, a plant in the experiment before uh, the actual test subject, so actors being brought in, sitting in the um, in the uh, order following position, in the person who's administering the shock in their chair, and then going all the way through to the end. Okay, if if the real subject of the experiment would see this being done a couple of times before he went into the room. The proclivity to go all the way through to the end with the lethal shock would jump from 65%. Are you ready for this, ladies and gentlemen? Are you ready for this number? To 92%. And why am I not surprised at the number either? Why am I not surprised at that number? Okay? For, for those who paid attention when we talked about occult numerology, they, I need to say nothing more. 92% of people would be willing, if they had seen someone else do it, would be willing to go forward with the lethal shock. Absolutely amazing and disgusting at the same time. But that is what authority does to people. That's what the belief in authority does to people, does to their own mind. That's what they allow it to do to their mind is what I should say. It doesn't do anything. It's just a claim that is put out there by someone else. Oh, you're not responsible. I'm responsible. Oh, you have to do this. I told you so. These are all just claims, ladies and gentlemen, not resembling reality whatsoever. What we allow by taking the claim and accepting it and saying yes to it yeah, I'll go along with that. What we are allowing that belief in authority to do to us is what's driving this dynamic. By their nature, it would seem only about 35%, 3 in 10 people, would actually say no. Over 6 out of 10 people, between 6 and 7 out of 10 people, will unquestioningly obey authority. Because that's how they've been conditioned since the day they were born. Just do what you're told. Just follow orders. Following orders is a virtue. We have to do better than that. A lot better than that. We need to get that number, by default, up over 90%. Who will say no and will not go along with orders. Let's look at a couple other very enlightening experiments on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio, my website, whatonearthishappening.com. 
we're taking a look at social psychological experiments that deal with the belief in authority and what people would be willing to do, what behaviors they would be willing to do if they were told that they weren't responsible for them. We looked at the Milgram experiment, a similar experiment, not quite the same thing, but uh, something that showed when you give power over other people, okay, or you claim, you're making the claim that you're giving power over other people to a group of individuals, what will they do with that? How will they behave? So in, a, in an experiment that uh, might involve prisoners and prison wardens, okay, or, or jailers, prison guards, let's say, how would all involved, all parties involved behave? What would their psychological states become like? This brings us to the Stanford prison experiment. Um, just uh, incidentally, uh, images six and seven were depictions of the Milgram experiment on the slides. We're looking at slide number eight, the Stanford Prison Experiment. This was an experiment uh, conducted by Philip Zimbardo, a psychologist. He did this back in 1971. And he was trying to look at the psychological impact of be either being a prisoner or a prison guard. And what would this level of authority or the loss of control over one's freedom, what would that do to the human psyche? But this was basically a obedience experiment, okay? You give, you give this uh, assumed authority to a group of individuals and tell them they have authority over someone else and they could basically do whatever they want. What's going to happen? What's going to result? And basically he put 24 people, okay, into um, a mock prison, okay, and he made some of them guards, some of them prisoners, and it was going to go on for two weeks. They had to stop the experiment after only six days, less than one week elapsed, okay? Zimbardo, the conductor of the experiment, the actual psychologist who set the experiment up, didn't want to stop the experiment at first. See, what happened was the guards became so overly abusive to the prisoners and were completely degrading them, doing all kinds of subtle tortures to them in, in as little as five days. That's all it took for them to become enormously verbally and then physically abusive. And the prisoners broke down into categories as well. Some of them would blindly follow whatever the guards told them, hoping, hoping the guards would just be easier on them. And other ones became very, uh, you know, staunch in their refusal to go along with things that they knew that these guards had no right to do. But all of them ultimately became very depressed and saddened, all of the, the prisoners because they were being completely dehumanized, degraded, looked upon as something less than a human being. Just because some other people were told, 
you could do whatever you want to these people and accepted that claim, accepted that false belief. See, the reality was they're all in the prison together. They're all prisoners, whether the prison guards knew it or not. And they're all creating a hell world in the prison because they wouldn't recognize the false aspect that needs to be recognized, that there is no such thing as authority, that authority is that falsehood, is that false aspect that they're told is real. Zimbardo told them, hey, there's authority here. There's a breakdown. You're the prisoners. You're the guards. Well, none of them had to accept that. They could have said, I don't have authority over anybody. Why do I need to be a prison guard? Why can't we all just treat each other as equals and then we could have a good time in here for two weeks? No, they accepted the claim and played the role and it turned into hell. Does it sound familiar? It should. Welcome to your life. Zimbardo himself did not want to stop the experiment. He was like the person pressing the button in the Milgram experiment. People had said in this experiment, in the Stanford prison experiment, I'm done with this. I don't want to participate in this anymore. This has crossed the line of an experiment to me and it is gone real world. It is gone real life. And I don't want to be part of it. Let me out of here. I want to go home now. I'm done with this. Zimbardo was fully prepared to just make them stay there for all two weeks. He was just going to ignore their free will as people who had willingly decided to take part in a, an experiment, a psychological behavioral experiment. And he was going to just totally um, usurp their free will and just continue the experiment through to its conclusion for 14 days. Thankfully, cooler heads prevailed. I should say more conscience, uh, people with higher conscience prevailed when one of, um, one of um, <coughs> uh, Zimbardo's colleagues got involved, okay? It was a female colleague. Um, her name, I should have it here with me. Her name slips my mind right now. But a female colleague of Philip Zimbardo, the psychologist, um, heard about the experiment. And when Zimbardo told her that, you know, some of the members want to stop, but I'm going to keep it going, she said to him, you know, are you, are you nuts? Are you crazy? What is wrong with you? That's so immoral. You can't do that. This is a, this is a person with free will. They're telling you, I'm done with your experiment. I want to be let out of here. I want to go home. You can't keep them in there. You're turning it into a real uh, cage. You're turning it into a real prison, and you're the warden. And you don't have a right to do that. These people have done nothing wrong. They're trying to help you conduct an experiment, and they're telling you now, that's it, enough. It's, I'm done. So he was going to be one of those people that would just you know, continue and let it go on just because he wanted to get his results. He wanted to... You know, he wanted to know more about what was going on in their minds and was ignoring their actual pain and suffering. Too left brain, not enough right brain. 
Okay, he was all about the logic, all about the, you know, let's conduct the experiment, uh, you know, according to the protocol I've designed, but he wasn't actually paying attention to the real experience experienced by the uh, people in the experiment. So finally, this um, female colleague of Zimbardo can convince them, you can't do that. You're, you're absolutely wrong. You're immoral for trying to do that. And he finally saw th through the help of this woman that what he was doing was wrong and he decided to step in and stop the experiment after six days thankfully because he was putting these kids through some bad traumatic experience this was trauma just like it is now in our world except it seems no one is here to stop the experiment so a very enlightening experiment the Stanford prison experiment I'll try to also post a video about that. I think I have a pretty good one, but I can link to about that. I've got some great resources on these experiments on the podcast, so be sure to check that out after the podcast goes up and uh, link to some of the resources. You'll you'll definitely be enlightened by what you find. We'll show uh, another experiment about following orders on a large level. On the other side of the break, we'll be right back, folks. This Don't is go the Oracle Broadcasting Radio. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Talking about some social experiments that really... Show us the result of following orders instead of conscience. We looked at the Milgram experiment and in the last couple of sections we looked at the Stanford prison experiment conducted by Philip Zimbardo in 1971. Now during the break I was able to look up the individual who um, reached the conscience of Philip Zimbardo and got him to stop the Stanford prison experiment. And lo and behold, will wonders never cease? Her name was Christina. Christina Maslach, a graduate, a graduate student, convinced Zimbardo to stop the Stanford prison experiment. Her name, ladies and gentlemen, was Christina. Synchromysticism in action. It's amazing. The third experiment is known as the third wave, or some people simply refer to it as the wave. Okay? This was conducted by a, um, a high school history teacher. His name was Ron Jones. Okay? He had a sophomore class at... Um, a high school in Palo Alto, California. This was done in the late 1960s, 1967. And he was teaching the, um, uh, the, the name of the high school was uh, Cubberley High School in Palo Alto. He was teaching his students about fascism. And as an experiment, he decided to basically knock democracy, knock democratic republics, say, 
they're really not as strong as other forms of government and their, their people are weaker and their societies are weaker. He was saying this uh, to, to get the students to basically go along with his experiment and show them what fascism really is, okay? What following orders is all about. And what he did is he formed this group within his class of students and it then propagated beyond that class and it was a, a group that was based on non-democratic principles, okay? It was based on following orders, discipline, authority, okay? Um, playing your part, playing your role, um, taking pride, national pride, etc. All of these dynamics. That's what he hammered into this group that he called, he, he, he gave it a name, they gave, a, uh, gave it a, uh, a symbol, you know, like a sigil for themselves, okay? They had mottos. Um, he called it the third wave, okay, to make it similar to the Third Reich, all right? There's a great um, television special about this known as The Wave, this was done in 1981, and I'll try to post a link to that. I think it's up on YouTube, but it's a great TV special about this experiment conducted by the high school teacher, Ron Jones. So he made a group. He called it the third wave. He gave it a sigil, like a big wave, okay, um, you know, like a big cresting wave, okay, and he um, uh, developed a motto for the students. Their motto was strength through discipline, strength through community, strength through action, and strength through pride. That was their motto for the group called the Third Wave. What happened is these students became more and more collective mindset oriented. They punished even the smallest deviation from the group norm. Okay, they got in fights, arguments over this. It created stress in their family. It created stress in their personal life with their friends. Certain students were ostracized, not allowed to take part in social activity if they weren't members of this wave group. They self-policed themselves and basically put themselves into strict, rigid, regimented routines and rules and ostracized whole other groups of students that they had once befriended and gotten along with harmoniously just because they identified more with the group think, with being a member of that group, you know, because this gave us benefits and it made us stronger as a tight-knit community. But everybody else who's not part of that, oh, cast them aside, push them to the wayside. We'll walk all over them. And this went on and on and became progressively more abusive. People also asked Ron Jones to stop this experiment. And finally he did. He gathered them all into an auditorium and basically told them that this was an experiment about fascism and how it works. And how it got them to basically create a completely disharmonious community and they were willing to do all kinds of wrongdoing to their former friends just because this groupthink dynamic took over and he likened them to German citizens during the Third Reich who were willing to follow Hitler the authority figure just because he was their commander he was their Fuhrer he was their better and he was their authority figure he was going to lead 
Germany to ever, uh, you know, bigger greatness. And they just had to shut up, follow what he told them to do. Just like every other dictator throughout time, whether it be Mussolini or Gaius Julius Caesar or um, Genghis Khan or you name it, anybody. Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, The whole idea was they gave their individual selves over to groupthink. This is another show I'm probably going to do. What does it mean to abandon the self? That's something that needs to be understood in this section on the non-support of dominators. The abandonment of the real self. Because that's what all collectivist groupthink mindset does to someone. It ultimately gets them to hand over their own free will to the group collective dynamic. And they're no longer thinking, are my actions that I own, whether I want to own them or not, I'm responsible for them. Are they in alignment? Are they in accord with natural law? Am I harming someone as a result of what I'm doing? Taking on this group think dynamic? Because that's always how the oppressive dominator mindset works. It's divisive. It, it looks at everything in terms of us and them. This is what the military and the police have to get out of. This is an illness. It's a psychological illness. People don't want to look at it like that, but that's exactly what it is. These individuals are diseased. They have the disease of separateness. They actually believe that there is such a thing as groups of people, that we're not all in this situation together. That's the only thing that really makes us alike. We all have the same basic needs, concerns, wants, dreams, hopes, and we all want to be free, but that's never going to happen through collective groupthink dynamic. That's only going to ever happen by each individual truly of their own willpower Developing an understanding of natural law and making the free will decision to live in harmony with that, those principles. That's it. It's the only thing that will ever do it. Get as angry about that being the case as you want. That's the case. That's how the laws of this domain operate. I'm not telling you that because it's my opinion. I don't care whether you believe it or not. Believe whatever you want to believe. I'm telling you, this domain operates according to law. And if you want to live in harmony, if you want to live in order, if you want to live in peace, if you want to have freedom, you need to understand how those laws operate in this domain. And stop thinking with collective groupthink dynamic that says everything is separate and this group, being a as a member of this group, we have to do only what's good for us and screw all of these other people. Who cares what happens to them? And that's exactly the mindset that the military is in. That's exactly the mindset that police are in. Protect our own, care for our own, and anybody that we have to step on to get our way and to get what we want or to get what we need to get done, done, because we're being given orders and that's how we get our paychecks, okay? We'll step on whoever we have to to get there. This is collective groupthink dynamic, and it's the same in every totalitarian society. It operates the same. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about Soviets 
whether you're talking about Roman centurions, whether you're talking about uh, uh, Mongols on the plains, whether you're talking about, um, you know, uh, secret police in fascist Italy, whether you're talking about SS guards at concentration camps during the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. It's the same collectivist mindset that brings on that chaos. We'll be right back with the last segment and wrap it up. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Okay, folks, last segment for this edition of What on Earth is Happening. Time really does fly. We've been talking about some fairly famous and some lesser known experiments that show the effect of claimed authority on the human mind and behavior. We looked at the Milgram experiment. We looked at the Stanford prison experiment. In the last section, we looked at the third wave experiment. And I just want to go back to a couple images in the um, uh, Stanford prison experiment in the slideshow. Image number eight shows some of the prisoners and the guards in the experiment and the roles that they took on how some of the prisoners were completely dehumanized, given numbers, you know, dressed in, in bed sheets, etc. Okay. And basically just treated as animals. And it, um, Philip Zimbardo himself saw the parallels to the absolute human rights atrocities that took place in Abu Ghraib prison. And image number nine shows the famous image from Abu Ghraib and how it has overtones to the Stanford prison experiment, but even more deeply sad is the fact that this is a real life situation and not a psychological experiment. That was in image number nine. Image 10 showed um, a frame from the television special called The Wave from 1981. And again, I will try to post uh, these references on the, uh, the podcast page for this podcast. Um, it shows the teacher, um, Ron Jones standing on a, the stage where the, he then projected behind him the image of Hitler and was explaining to his his uh, audience of students that um, they would have made excellent Nazis during the Third Reich because they made such excellent fascists in the wave experiment. So that's what that image represents. Um, a couple of resources that I really highly suggest people look at. I can't suggest Larkin Rose's work highly enough when it comes to this. If you're not familiar with Larkin Rose, become familiar with his work. I interviewed him here uh, months ago on What on Earth is Happening. You can search his name on uh, the uh, podcast page. And 
His book, The Iron Web, is an excellent fictional allegory about authority, okay, and the claims that it makes and how people have bought into it so willingly that they don't understand that their own actions are immoral. An excellent book for people to check out. Even better than that, uh, again, that's an excellent allegorical fictional work. But his book, The Most Dangerous Superstition, is perhaps one of the most enlightened books written on the topic of the disease of authority, the disease that authority actually is, of the belief that the belief in authority is, I should say. This psychological illness needs to be healed in humanity if we're going to have a chance at continued survival and at progressing our evolutionary development. So please check out Larkin Rose's work, especially The Most Dangerous Superstition. I mean, this book is of vital significance. Everyone should should already have read that book. Hardly anyone has even heard of it. But if you haven't read it yet, you really need to pick it up and read it. Because it so eloquently and logically explains how this belief in authority is a complete illusion. And that's what's holding this entire species back. So to conclude here, some of the statements that I made last week and in the the weeks before, I want to just reiterate. By definition, it is an impossibility, an impossibility to be an order follower and simultaneously be exercising conscience. It cannot be done. If you think that that can be done, you are wrong. That's it. It's like saying, I think that I can drink this glass of water, okay, and after drinking it, it can simultaneously be in my stomach and the glass at the same time. That is the equivalent. The two things are diametrically opposed. You either still have it in the glass or you have drank it already. Okay, so if I drink a glass of water, the water is not present in the glass anymore. The whole old adage of he wants to have his cake and eat it too, meaning you want to eat the cake, but you still want it present on the plate after you've eaten it. Well, the universe doesn't work that way. And you are either a exerciser of conscience, meaning you have the definitive knowledge of the natural law difference between right and wrong in hand and in mind and in heart, and you obey your conscience. You say, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, and I'm going to choose the right over the wrong. Not, I think this is right, or I'm told this is right. Listen, listen. The word was, I know which is right. I know right from wrong. And that's the problem. The problem is most people don't know the difference between right and wrong definitively because they have had their mind so convoluted by erroneous belief systems. But that statement is immutably 100% true. You cannot be exercising conscience if you are an order follower. 
Because even if the order is within natural law, you followed it because you were following the order, not because you definitively knew it was in harmony with natural law. And if it's outside the parameters of natural law right, then you have no business taking that action at all, whether you're commanded to or not. So if you're commanded to do that and you follow that order and it's outside of natural law's boundaries, of course it's wrong. It's going to be, going to be wrong whether somebody gave you that order or you did it on your own. But if you do what's, if you happen to stumble into doing what's right just because you were following orders, that doesn't mean you did it in consciousness, in knowing. You did it in an unconscious state, haphazardly. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about getting to conscious, conscious creation of our reality through consciously making the decision to operate within the parameters of natural law. The, the phrase, I was just following orders, shown in slide number 12, is never a valid excuse or justification for immoral criminal behavior. Never. Never. It is never an excuse. It is never a justification. Oh, people will try to claim it all the time. They'll continue to try to claim it. I was just following orders. It's just my job. Just doing my job. If I don't do this, I don't get a paycheck. If I don't do this, somebody frowns down upon me and tells me I'm a bad boy for not obeying. If somebody, if I don't do this, I might lose, not be able to make the payments on my house. If I don't do this, oh, uh, I might not be able to send my kid to this fancy school he's attending, or maybe I might not even be able to feed my family. Well, you know what? You put yourself in that position by even joining a herd think, a collectivist think group. That's your responsibility. What you need to do to unmake that situation is also your responsibility. It doesn't make a difference. You can give all the justifications in the world. Slide number 13 shows what justification means. You're pretending to make it right. You're making another claim, just like the claim of authority is only a claim and doesn't exist. Justification is only a claim and doesn't really exist. You're pretending to create a right that isn't there. You want to make something that is a wrong into a right, and you can never do that. Now, I ended the show on this for the last two weeks, and this is the uh, uh, yet another week I'm on it. Maybe this will become the closing statement for the show. There are only two mistakes one can make on the path to truth. Not starting and not going all the way. Remember that, folks. That's all for today. We'll see you next week on What on Earth is Happening. Thanks for listening.